Welcome to the Church on the Rock podcast. It is our prayer that this message brings hope and encouragement into your life as you go about your week. Thanks for tuning in. Well, good morning, church. Um, today we are going to be continuing in our series called Mirrors. Each week we've been looking at different attributes of the character of God and asking ourselves, as those who are made in His image, How can I both be transformed by his character and reflect it to this world around me? So we looked at things like God is love, he is holy, he is faithful, he is just, he is merciful, he is gracious, he is patient, he is truth. And today we look at God is good. He is good. Now when you look at that term, you got to realize that God, the the qualities of God go infinitely in all directions, right? You know, it's not the, the, the understanding of good that we have, like God is not a good investment, right? I mean, he is, but he's a good investor. He knows how to, right? So he's not, it's not goodness as an investment, meaning that it will produce a reliable return. It's not like good food, meaning that it's pleasurable or tasty or nutritious in some way. It's not like a, a you're a good dog, I like you, good puppy. You know, how many of you have a good dog? All right, yeah. How many of you don't have a good dog? Yeah. All right, you know the difference between bad and good when you get a dog, right? A dog that's obedient and loyal and hardworking. Or when your children are good, that's a good experience. Uh, a child that obeys and blesses and honors their parents, that's good. But that's not the kind of good that we're talking about. We're going off the cliff of goodness. We are going as deep as deep can be. When we say God is good, it's not like food or a dog or even a human. It's not. It's beyond that, far, far beyond. We've got to realize that when we say good about God, that that goodness extends beyond our own comprehension. It's beyond that. No matter how massive or deep your understanding of God's goodness might be, it's terribly inadequate to his real goodness. You cannot even understand how good God is. Your conception of his goodness is limited, right, to your human capacity to understand it. No matter how big it is and how how large your understanding of goodness is, It cannot match the goodness of God. He is good beyond your wildest dreams. He is so, so good. He possesses every good and perfect gift. And this temptation that we all might have to limit his goodness to our understanding is a dangerous one. Don't do it. Don't let God be confined in your little box because he can't be. He'll extend, he'll blow your box up, right? He will explode it, right? So it's a dangerous thing to do that. But we've been doing it from the very beginning. We've been limiting our understanding of God's goodness completely. After making all of creation and all of the goodness that is in this world and God then saying it is good when he finished with Eve, Eve then 
has a tough moment, right? There's, they're in this garden, and there's this opportunity in the garden to express faith and obedience. When God places a tree in the garden of the knowledge, and it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he says, do not eat from it lest you die. And everybody's like, well, why would God put that up there? Well, it's his goodness that motivates him to do everything. And so he put that there, and that was probably an opportunity, among many things, it was an opportunity for them to be obedient and worship God by their obedience every day with one simple instruction. But then enters the tempter, the accuser, right? First, he twists God's word. Then he calls God a liar. And this causes the woman to doubt something. What does she doubt? His goodness. She believes that God is withholding something that she thinks she should have. And so she extends her hand out and takes it and gives it to Adam, who was with her the whole time. All sin seems to derive from a lack of understanding, a faith in God's goodness. So we reach out for something else. And as the consequences, that happens, the consequences become dark, right? And this world is filled with darkness, and it has been dark ever since. Suffering and death enter in full force, and they have not let go. For about three years, I've been working as a chaplain in area hospitals. And they call me when things are getting really, really dark. As dark as they can possibly get. And I watch one person after another die. I watch them take their last breaths. I watch them go through their last moments. I watch their families shed tears. And I watch one tragedy after the next unfold. It's like going to the worst thing that happens every day. Right? And I've got to bring something out of that. I'm called to bring comfort on the worst day of their life or the last day of their life. And a lot of times I meet people who in those dark, dark moments doubt the goodness of God. They break. And I also see people who hold fast to the goodness of God. And that is a blessing that is so deep that, I, that every day I have to take a firm grip that I go to that place, right? To that faith that I have that God is good no matter what tragedy might unfold, no matter what we might see people go through. But oftentimes people doubt the goodness of God and they ask, why did God let this happen or make this happen? And they seem so surprised by tragedy. They say to themselves, God could have prevented something, but he didn't. Why didn't he prevent it? Why does a good God allow this tragedy to even unfold? Why does a good God permit disease and suffering and pain and even the death of the innocent, right? Why does he allow these things Why does he stand by while the wicked oppress 
and even murder the helpless and the weak? Why doesn't he do something? And we start to question, is he really good? I'm a pastor, and I've been one for 20 years now. And I have all the textbook answers, right? And all the head knowledge as to why God might make this happen. But those answers are no comfort to those in the midst of lasting tragedy and suffering. Why does a good God make life so painful, so difficult, so brutal, and sometimes exhausting? Some of us struggle with depression, and you have good reason to. But there are other reasons to come out, right? right. Amen? But doubting God's goodness when we look at, a, at the problem of pain is easy. For us with a limited view of time and space, right? Remember, our perception is limited. The tragedy and the trials of life don't make sense. And we watch them unfold and unfold and unfold and unfold. The loss of hope can threaten to swallow us whole if we don't look to the goodness of God And so today I want to challenge you. If you've been around for a long time, you've seen the tragedy unfold. And you know that he's our only hope out. Right? He's got goodness. But someday, don't be surprised by this, tragedy will strike again. And again, and again, and again. And so I want to look at a character who was struck repeatedly by tragedy. Anybody know who I'm going to look at? Job. You got a biblical? Good job, Pastor. They know the answer. Job. And you could say Jesus in that one, too. But Job was a good answer. Job uh, was living the good life. He had it all and followed the Lord in the most exemplary, exemplary way. God even bragged on Job. He's like, look at this guy, Job. He's so great. He loves me. I love him. I'm going to bless him, right? He's got my favor. And Job is living it up, right? He's walking in the full glory, blessing of God. He's the richest man, the wisest man. He walks into the temple's gates and everybody goes like this. Because Job's coming with his wisdom. And he makes the widow's heart sing, right? And he breaks the jaws of godless oppressors. He's a fighter too, man. Job was the man. Job stood up, though, one day and found that everything was about to disappear. For no reason. He didn't sin that night. He didn't curse God's name. He didn't do anything wrong whatsoever. But for no reason of his own fault, everything was taken. His wealth is stolen or burned. His servants are all executed, and his children die in a single accident. They're wiped out. And his grief is profound. And he says some things that let us know how real that grief is. Job stood up in Job 1, 20 and 22, to 22. Job stood up, and he tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head, and he fell to the ground in worship. And he said, I have come naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise 
be the name of the Lord. Right? In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. He didn't sin. And so I would encourage us, we have a lot to learn from that man. But his story gets worse, right? Now that's a horrid day. But Job, can, Job refuses to blame God for this. He chooses to praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be his name. He recognizes that he came into this world with nothing, and that's how he's going to make an exit. He's okay with that. He accept, accepts the great grief and accepts that God allowed it. But things only get worse. Tomorrow's another day. Satan goes before God and says, well, yeah, that was pretty impressive, I'll admit it. That was a good, good thing that he did. But if you took his health and gave him a painful existence, he'll turn. He'll, he'll walk away. So Satan left, and God says, you may. So Satan left the Lord's presence, and he struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. Yeah, yeah Satan just he, he gives him infection across his whole body, head to toe. Job scraped his skin with a broken, a piece of broken pottery, and he sat among the ashes. Torn robe, covered in ashes, and boils, and I don't want to go into how disgusting he would look, but that's a messy scene. That is an ugly scene. Scratching with broken pottery. Can you imagine the the level of grief he was going through to lose everything, including his children, but then to also lose his health? There is, he's got nothing left to live for except his wife, who says to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. Whoa. Thanks, honey. No shame to her, though. Once I thought she was such a terrible woman, but I have to remember... She lost all her children. She lost all of her kids too. She wants to curse God and die and thinks he should too. That's a hard, hard thing. So let's have some mercy on her. She said a dumb thing in the wrong moment in a very deep level of pain. She's human too. But Job replied, You talk like a foolish woman. Should we only accept good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all of this, Job said nothing wrong. He still insists. Nothing. God has maintained his order. I will not turn against him. Later, Job says this. Though he may slay me, still I will trust in him. I will believe in him. I will hold fast to his goodness and believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, beyond my understanding, and through my grief and the deepest level of pain that he is still good. Yes. 
He's still good. He is a good God. It would have been understandable for him to walk away, right? But wow, what faith Job has in the goodness of God. After, in, with, after arguing with his friends, that's, this is the next part of the story that's great. His friends come along and say, Job, you're, you're, you must be evil. You must be filled with sin. You should turn and repent for all the, some kind of wicked thing. We don't know what you did, but you did something. Right? Thanks, guys. But to see that Job is still frail and human, he says this to them. Oh, that I might have my request, that God would grant my desire. I wish he would crush me. I wish he would reach out his hand and kill me. So you, you know that he still believes in God's goodness, but he is having a tough time moving forward from this. He just wants this to be over. But he says this, at least I can take comfort in this. Despite the pain, I have not denied the words of the Holy One. Job's faith isn't tested in the blessing and the wealth and the fullness of family and good health. His faith faith is tested in this moment where he is worse off than the day that he was born. He is naked, yes, and in pain and covered with ashes and has nothing. But he holds fast and takes comfort in the fact that he says, I haven't turned. I will not curse the Lord. So we can learn this lesson when it appears that things have gone really, really bad. And the train is off the rails and it's wrecked. Life seems to be wrecked and it seems to be like nothing good can happen and it's all over. Let's look and say, I will not deny the words of the Holy One like Job said. I, I still believe in his goodness. About seven years ago, I was a youth pastor for many years, and seven years ago, uh, my family and I were going out to dinner, or actually lunch, and we were coming out, and, and it was like a Saturday morning, I was ready to enjoy the day, and I get a phone call we're in, while we're in the car, and the person says, are you sitting down? And I was like, oh no. Yeah, I'm sitting down, I'll put the car in park. He's like, are you with your family? I'm like, yeah. He's like, send them somewhere else. And I was, okay. And my family went inside to Red Robin to celebrate whatever we were celebrating without me. And he says, one of your students, 12-year-old Barbie Kimball, was killed in a car accident. And that, that's a punch in the gut. I love my students. I believe they are the investment of the future and the hope of the kingdom of God that it would continue beyond us. And I had a lot of plans for that girl. She sat in the front row and she smiled and she engaged and she asked hard questions and she dove into her faith at 12 years old. It can be done. And God took her home. And I went and I did the funeral. 
I went into their house that night after finding out, and I listened to screaming grief of a mom asking God why in anger, and her sisters collapsing under the weight of grief. It was so hard. And I, I said all the pastoral things I knew to say. But when it was all over and we were giving our hugs, I was still angry. And a few days later, I called Barbie's mom. And she said, I'm still angry. I don't know why this happened. I don't know what's going on. And I said, I'm angry too. I'm so angry at God. I wanted her to live and press on. And now we've got to live the rest of our days in grief of her loss. You're never going to be the same. And I have to admit that while I thought that God was good, I didn't feel that God was very good. I didn't feel it. And for months I felt that way, and that subtleness started to rot in me and started to destroy me. And, and I couldn't, as a pastor, you just have to keep saying God things. You know what I mean by that? You keep, have to keep being the example, and it's hard to have a moment of weakness. But I was falling apart. And I went on vacation with my family, and that's why pastors have to go on vacation. You hear me? They have to go on vacation so they can sort out some of the mess that happens inside them as a result of the traumas of the things that they endure with people. And I was struggling with God. And I, did, I said, God, I do not feel that you are good. I'm quietly angry with you. Actually, I'm quietly furious. And I don't know what to do. I still love you, but I'm so mad. And I began to argue with him. She was such a great kid. She had such potential. Why? And I went to bed angry. And the Lord came to me in a dream. And this is probably one of those dreams that sometimes you think a dream is just a little figment of your imagination. This is one of those ones that grips you and shakes you to alertness when it's over. So you can't forget a detail of it. And the dream starts like this. Jesus is standing and he's looking over the whole span of the earth. Right? In his glory. He's looking down on the darkness of the earth. And out of the darkness comes Barbie. To talk to him. And she's down. But she's glad to see him and she runs up to him. And the first thing she says to him is, why am I here so early? And that's resonated in my heart. Yeah, why is she there so early? I was mad. And he smiles at her, and he turns her around, and he shows her the earth. And in some ways, God can't um, show you something in a dream that he can't, that it would take forever to describe. But he shows her all that he has done with her death. All the people that realized that life was fragile and turned their lives over to Jesus. And the sensitivity and the gentleness and the kindness that that developed in his followers. And even this message today, he, he shows her all of it. 
And then he turns her around and he lifts her chin up and he says, do you want me to undo it? So that you can go back. And her answer, like only Barbie would answer, was no. Gives him a hug and a kiss and walks into the light of eternity. I realized that day that I had a wrong perspective on grief and loss, that I was limited in my understanding as to why God does the things that he does. But God blew it up, right? And I woke up with tears streaming down my face and I cried with apology to God for my lack of trust in his goodness. And the anger was wiped from me in a single moment. And I'm okay with it. I don't have to be happy about it, but I trust that he is good enough to know what he is up to and I'm not gonna understand it. God is good. Yes, he is. Infinitely and incomprehensibly good. He's so, so good. Romans 8, 18 and 19 says this, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the future glory he will reveal to us later, right? For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. We're his kids in Christ Dad doesn't let go of his kids. And what he causes his kids to endure is for their good. Can anything ever separate, Romans 8, 35 says this, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. This is temporary. And his, his glory is eternal. And his solution to all of this pain and all the suffering that we endure is eternal. It's awesome. And so I want to quote to you. Um, there was a message given at a funeral that changed the world. And it was said at the death of Willie Lincoln by a guy named Phineas Gurley. He was a Presbyterian pastor. And after Barbie died, I needed to understand these things. And after hearing this message, Lincoln, for the first time, after, hearing, you know, after being at the funeral of his own 12-year-old son, went up and said, for the first time, I need your notes. And he took those notes and he went into two months of prayer. And when he came out of those two months of prayer, he emancipated the slaves and set them free. And I want to read to you that message. Phineas starts it like this. It is well for us and very comforting on such an occasion as this to get a clear and scriptural view of the providence of God. 
his kingdom rules over all. All those events which affect our condition and happiness are in his hands and at his disposal. Disease and death are his messengers. They go forth at his bidding. And their fearful work is limited or extended according to his good pleasure. Not a sparrow falls to the ground without his direction, much less any one of his human family. For we are more valuable than many sparrows. We may be sure, therefore, bereaved parents and all the children of sorrow, they may be sure that their affliction has not come forth of the dust, nor has their trouble sprung up from the ground. It is the well-ordered procedure of their father and their God. It's not chaos. It's not purposeless. It's got a plan, right? It's moving in God's direction, even though it feels like craziness to us. It is the well-ordered procedure of their father and their God. A mysterious dealing they may consider it, but it is still his dealing. And while they mourn, he is saying to them, as the Lord Jesus once said to his disciples, when they were perplexed or confused by his conduct, what I do you know not now, but you shall know thereafter. What we see in the, what we, or sorry, this is my favorite part. What we need in our hour of trial and what we should seek by earnest prayer is confidence in him who sees the end from the beginning and who does all things well. Only let us bow in his presence with a humble and teachable spirit. Only let us be still and know that he is God. Only let us acknowledge his hand and hear his voice and inquire after his will and seek his Holy Spirit as our counselor and guide. And in the end, we will be well. In his light shall we see light. By his grace, our sorrows will be sanctified. They will be made a blessing to our souls. And by and by, we shall have occasion to say, with blended gratitude and rejoicing, it is good for us that we have been afflicted. Heaven but tries our virtues by affliction. And often the cloud that wraps the present hour serves to brighten all our future days. Amen. That message, I read it probably two or three times a year just to remind myself of God's goodness and his power. If you want a copy of it, I'll get it for you. But it's a good way to refresh yourself and that God is good And that we need to seek him and pursue him and chase after him even when our life spins into chaos and we feel like things have slipped out of his control. They haven't. They are his well-ordered purpose. You will not just survive. You'll be glorified. Amen. 
you will be exalted and you will sit with him as his children at his table forever and ever and ever. And you will look back on the pain of this life and the things that you had to endure and you'll see the purposes that God unfolded through it and you will say, thank you for letting me endure it. Even though you may be through things right now that are so painful, you can't do that. You will. Don't lose faith in the goodness of God. So now how do we then mirror that goodness? Is by being people who are good. Not just like a dog, good. Not just like good nutritional food but eminent goodness, that our lives are filled with the things of God, that we're not idle people, and that's one of the risks, I think, of our current day, is that we might become idle. We need to chase after God in all of his goodness and be in pursuit of it and be active as we can possibly be in it, but we're filled We're placed into lives with televisions and sports and dramas and and soccer camp and, and, you know, everything under the sun has been given to us to do in this culture. And every distraction in the world is there. And I think the devil places it there as he tells you it's neutral, but it's what it has is nothing good most of the time. Our lives are to be filled with goodness. We are to be pursuing God and his direction and his voice in all the things that we can do. Not because we're supposed to, but because being filled with his goodness is awesome. It helps us to endure these tragedies and these difficulties. It helps us stick together in love and purpose and hope. And so we are strengthened when we reflect his goodness and we become the blessing that we that we hope to be when we place our lives and our hope in Christ. So Paul says this to the Thessalonians who are going through a very difficult and brutal time. He says this, So we keep on praying for you, asking God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live. And you will be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? Jesus Would you remind us, those of us who are going through the dark hours in the valley of the shadow of death and along the road of pain, would you remind us that it's temporary, that it will not last forever, and that there will be relief one day, and the relief will be glorious and beautiful. But help us to hold fast to your goodness while we feel the pain and the challenge and the difficulties we have to endure. Remind us that you are good and that you know the end from the beginning and that you do all things well. Remind us, God, when tragedy strikes that this is the purposed order of God 
and that we can be confident that you will undo this in a glorious way, maybe not in this life, but definitely and certainly when you return and you remind us of who you remind this world of who your children are. We belong to you. We have hope in you. And we believe your goodness is far beyond anything that we can hope or imagine. And for those of us, God, who have lost faith in a, ba- in a dark moment, help us to turn. For those of us who are like Job's wife, who really wanted to curse you and just die, help us to not say those words, God, but to trust in your goodness even amidst this. I know it's hard, Lord, but help us. We need your strength to do it. Remind us of how good you are and teach us to reflect that goodness, to not waste our lives, but to fill them with the good things that you gave to us. Fill them with your word. Fill them with relationships with your people. Fill us with activities that go out into this world and reach out to lost people and love them like you loved. Fill our lives with the gospel of Christ, the good news that we might go and preach it to this broken world. And we might become part of your plan to restore and redeem So thank you that our lives are so valuable to you and so useful to you. Thank you that Christ has taken us from the trash and turned us into treasure. Help us to believe on that and to live in it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All I can say is wow. I, I've been preaching for 30 years. I really don't touch topics like that because I don't really know how. And, man, he touched topics that everybody experiences and everybody goes through, but we're not real sure how to, way we're supposed to be or what we're supposed to, how we're supposed to act or what we're supposed to do. And, and that stuff's just hard to figure all out for me. But... um Man, we needed to hear that. That was a very, very, very good word today. God wants to do something today. He doesn't just throw something out there like we just heard and you feel something move in your mind or in your heart and just say, all right, see you later. He wants to seal the deal today. He wants to seal the deal. With every head bowed and eyes closed, i got just some questions for you. Every head bowed and eyes closed. First of all, when you saw people being baptized today, I just need to know this. Was there anybody in the room that you just felt like you wanted to start serving Jesus, that you're not right now, but you want to start following Christ? And and when you saw those people being baptized, you admired that, and, and you even could see yourself doing that someday would you just look up at me everybody's heads bowed would you just look up at me and just raise your hand wave it at me and say yeah I would like to be a follower of Christ Brian would you just look up at me and just wave your hand at me as I'm looking through the building 
Anybody say, man, when I saw him baptized, I, it made me want to be a follower. It made me want to be baptized. Anybody want to do that today? Anybody want to do that today? Just lift your hand up at me. Amen. I think I see one hand that I've not seen raise their hand before. Anybody else? Pray this with me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I give you my heart today. I give you my life today. We'll figure it out as it goes by. But for right now, I just say, Jesus, I want you in my life. I want you to forgive me of my sin. And I want to let you in to where I'm at. Because I know you want to be there. And right now, Lord Jesus, I open up my heart. And I ask you to come in. Forgive me and save me. In Jesus' name, amen. I know people prayed that today. And if you prayed that today, you can let us know at the church office. Um, or Justin's going to be over here. We got a gift for you if you feel like you want to tell someone today. So we can rejoice with you and help you with that. If you want to be baptized, Justin's going to be over here today. And we can do that. That's the first thing. I wanted to do. The second thing I wanted you to do, how many are currently in pain? And you're currently enduring some things that you don't understand. You can't put your finger on it. You're trying to figure out what you did and why it's happening or any of that stuff. Maybe you've been bitter. Maybe you, you've been upset with the Lord and you saw that that's okay that you have those emotions. Okay? But how many of you even in that, how many of you just feel like God wants to give you like a release today and, and just be filled with like a peace which surpasses understanding? And in a minute, we're going to have our prayer team come up. And, and the, here's the call is if you feel if you're going through hardship and suffering and pain, it's very, very, very difficult I'm going to ask you to come and let our prayer team pray for you. And I feel like there's going to be some kind of a release. I really do. I feel like there's going to be some kind of a release to where you're going to leave here today a whole lot better than when you came. Anybody here say amen. So, so let God do that for you. And then the last thing that came to my mind, and I have to say this, is it really hit me. When it said that Job didn't say anything wrong with his mouth. He never said anything wrong with his mouth. And, and I've been like you, Justin. I've been really angry. And I've been, I, guys, I, I, I stood, I put a, I held a dead person up in a bed one time and spoke life to it. Three times. Only to watch it fall down in the bed and gave up the ministry and said, Lord, you told, told me to, 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 to go lay hands on the dead and they'll rise. And the reason I did it with this person is because God had already raised her from the dead once. And I couldn't understand why it happened again. Uh, she, she, was so, she, she was so healed from cancer that I had to drive to Columbia, Missouri and talk to a Hindu doctor who put x-rays on the wall and said this woman had six weeks to live and this cancer filled her body and now here's the new x-ray. There's no cancer and the Hindu doctor said she say Jesus do this. 
And so I drove to witness to him. That woman led such a horrible, putrid life that she was 18 years old visiting her friend at, at, the, at, 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 at her house and started sleeping with her best friend's father. That's the kind of sin we were talking about. And then this lady left, split that marriage up, and this teenager married her best friend's dad. That's the kind of story I'm dealing with. And, and, the lady, and I'm 19 years old as senior pastor, and a woman walks in and says, I've lived a horrible life, and she told me this stuff, and she said, I've got six weeks to live. And God healed her. But, and she started going around telling her testimony and all this stuff. Then she got cancer in another part of her body, so we did a church fast again, did the same thing again, and said God's going to heal her again. And that's why I lifted her up three times. But that was one of my times I had to say, God, what are you doing here? How, how am I? Three times I lifted that body up. I believed, and the Lord gave me an answer too. So, so, so guys, I think it's okay to be upset, but here's the thing. Job never said anything wrong with his mouth. He never did it. And guys, listen, I feel the Holy Spirit saying, be careful with your words. Be careful with your words. Even Jesus, when he was going, he, he was going somewhere. I forgot where he's going. I was reading it the other day. And he went over. He was hungry. And he went over to a fig tree to get some figs off the, the, the tree. And he bent down to, cause the, to get some fruit off the fig. And there wasn't any. And Jesus was like, the fig tree should have had fruit on it. He was hungry. And, the, and he didn't. So he cursed the fig tree and said, you are not going to have any more fruit. And the next day, went in town, went and did some stuff, walked back by the next day, and the disciple said, look at that tree. Look at that tree that you said yesterday would never bear anymore. It's dead from the root up. Guys, death and life are in the power of the tongue. You need to be careful. It's okay to, to, to let off emotions and, and, and let off how you really feel. But in the same time, let's speak faith. Let's speak, though he slay me, yet I'll trust him. Let's speak, though we don't understand it, though, though we can't. Man, I'm never, these lips are going to praise the Lord. Let, let's be like Habakkuk chapter 3 that says, Although the fig tree shall not blossom and there's no fruit on the vine, the olive of the of the field shall yield no more meat and there's no uh, uh, cattle in the stalls and all this stuff but then it says yet I'm going to continue to praise the Lord I'm going to joy in the God of my salvation and that's what you preach today Justin that's what you preach today here's what I want you to do if you're mourning do, do, do you know even in this church in the past two or three months do you know how many young couples have lost their babies? Do you know how many tragedies that I've heard happening in this church? Man, we need a word like that. We need a word like that. If you're suffering today, I want you to get out of your seat because prayer changes things. Here's the change. It may not change the situation like you may think it, you want it to be, but you can leave with a peace that surpasses all understanding. 
And there are some things that you're to have the God kind of faith at, and you are to speak to your mountain and tell it to be removed and, and, and cast into the sea. And the Bible says, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Amen. For more information and to stay up to date with what's happening in the life of Church on the Rock, please visit us on the web at cotrag.org. Thanks again for tuning in.